big edge to you is that you haven't got to go and invest in that infrastructure and 20, 30 retail commercial premises and 20, 30 teams of people. And then the difficulty of managing people from Brighton, where your, your base camp is, to Bristol or Birmingham, for example, I just use the bees. But, uh, and that's the, the, the big advantage from a business's perspective, the ability to scale up quickly. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of How Not To Run A Business. It's me, your host, Jeremy Jacobs, and thank you very much for joining me today. I hope you're doing very well. It's the 1st of February. Welcome to the second month of 2023. I have a lovely episode for you today. I sat down with the absolutely wonderful Frederick St. George MBE. Yes, that's his full name. What a powerful name that man has or Freddie as we like to call him as well. So Freddie is a man of many talents and we could have talked for hours about all of the amazing things that he gets up to but we decided to focus in on two subjects fundraising and franchising. His fundraising event the Italian job was started in 1990 with his mum. They've raised over three million pounds for children's charities in that time which frankly is absolutely amazing. So I'm not going to say any more about what the Italian job is. I'll leave that to Freddie to explain, but it's just such an inspiring story and journey that they've been on. And I know that even if you're not into fundraising or, you know, you haven't done fundraising in the past, it's going to be a really interesting conversation and will inspire you to give back and be of service to your community and those in need. And the second thing that we talked about was franchising. So Freddie has been in the franchising business for a very, very long time, and he is definitely an expert. So we have a chat about what franchising is, uh, the advantages, the disadvantages, the things that you need to look out for. So if you've ever thought about becoming a franchisee or a franchisor, then this will be a very interesting conversation for you. And even if you're not and you want to know more about franchising, then make sure you give this episode a full listen. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that we now have a resource page on my website. So any links or any resources that come off the back of any of our podcast episodes will be released at the same time as when the podcast episode goes out. So if you go to jeremyjacobs.co.uk forward slash podcast hyphen resources, or you can just go onto the podcast page and there's a big button at the top that said podcast resources and if you go onto that you can access any of the links or any of the resources that I talk about in the episode and just a quick request if you're a regular listener of how not to run a business I would really appreciate it if you could give me a review on your favorite podcast platform and make sure that you're following me and also click that little notification bell to make sure that you are notified when every new episode is released I would very much appreciate it So for now, it's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy. So I am here with Freddie. Um, Welcome, Freddie. Thanks for coming onto my podcast today. How are you? Very well indeed. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Tell my listeners, give us a a whistle-stop tour of what you do, because I know you do a lot. Yeah, there's there's a few things. I mean, fingers in pies and and all that. But my main day-to-day activity is the the franchisor, so the MD of the franchisor, of raring to go, so we uh, manage a network of uh, franchisees around the country. They produce a quarterly magazine and manage a website aimed at families with, with children at primary school. Um, I also am involved in a very small but uh, perfectly formed uh, design and print company. Um, I'm also uh, one of the co-founders and organisers of an annual event that's been running. I'm very proud to say since 1990, called the Italian Job, which combines a number of different passions. Uh, m- my passion for the classic mini. 
uh, my passion for Italy. My family's Italian. I've got the most Anglo-Saxon name you could imagine, but my family's <laughs> Italian. Um, and the uh, idea of uh, philanthropy and fundraising, uh, which I say we've been doing for 30 years yeah. now, so 32 years. Yeah, amazing. So we're going to get into all of that in detail. Um, one question that I always ask people like yourself, entrepreneurs, would you call yourself an entrepreneur? Do you think see well, yourself as an entrepreneur? Not really. I think I'm, no? I'm, I'm at that age now where it didn't really exist when I was uh, coming through. So I was just a, a, a businessman. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm surrounded by very, very talented entrepreneurs um, from from all walks of life. But what, uh, what would you call yourself? Uh, just a, a man in Bus- business. Yeah, yeah, man in business. Fair. Yeah, fair enough. I, 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 the question just popped into my head because... Uh, I was at a networking event the other day and someone asked me what I do and I went, oh, technically I'm an entrepreneur but I don't really like calling myself that because the word, I don't know if you agree, has been, in my opinion, massively overused yes. by people. Um, so it's interesting to and hear. And adapted. How. Yeah, adapted, it, it, yeah, of course. Insanely. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just, um, like, like you, I think I'm just a, a person who has uh, found themselves more leaning towards being in business than mm. working for uh, for other people. Yeah, and have you always been that way? Have you always worked for yourself? I knew from a very early age that this is how I was, Jeremy. I um, Yeah, I, I, I left university with a, with a half-decent degree uh, from an Italian university um, and didn't know what to do when I worked with my mother. She worked in Burgess Hill at the time. She had a company organising conferences and incentives. Mm-hmm. And I was going to go there for a couple of months, kick my heels and, uh, and see what kind of took my fancy. This was in the days of fax machines, telexes, no phones, <laughs> no email. Uh, and ended up staying there. And then we developed the Italian job together and got involved in other stuff together. So I've worked with my mum, um, who I guess has been my inspiration, but also my boss, I think, initially. Yeah. Um, for all those years now, she's eighty-eight and she's fierce Southern Italian woman. You don't you don't mess with a Southern Italian woman, and she uh, is still at her desk every morning at seven thirty, um, and um, yeah, doing much that, that she was doing before. So wow. um, always wow. been in business. That's super inspiring. Yeah, I'm gonna remember. What, what's your mum's name? It's Giulia, which Giulia. is the Italian spelling G I U L I A. Yeah, as in the Alpha Giulia. Um, yeah. that, that for some reason everybody seems to think is Gorilla when they phone up or Gorilla. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, she's um, still very active in the business, and certainly she's the brains behind the Italian job. Yeah. Absolutely, the uh, the organisation. And so, just for clarity, was she was she when when she was working both was she running her own? Did she start her own business? Yeah, she was in her, it was her own company. Okay. Um, she she arrived in the UK back in the early or mid sixties with my married my father, my sister and I were born, and she worked within travel um, for many years, and then had an opportunity to start her own conference and group incentive business. Uh, and and did so very successfully. Um, and then we it just divert, it, it kind of evolved into other things. So we took on some design people and became graphic design. Then got involved in print. Then um, we were already involved in events. So the something like the Italian job coming along was just an easy one for us. Although that was the only one that was a a, a totally benevolent uh, event. That was mm. a something we had to squeeze in around everything else that was going on. Um, yeah. But yeah, she was the driving force. Still is today very much to to, to this to this. Uh, wow. Um, in, in the business so you've worked with your mum for yeah. however many well what are we well so wanna, for 30 plus years 30 32 plus years. 33 years so wow. um yeah and it's um it, it's been fascinating and, uh, and and brilliant but how's it been working with your mum is it it's been um it's, it's it's kind of relentless a lot of the time because there's 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 no room for um it's an unconditional love and 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 you absolutely know that the person you're working with has your back 100%. And uh, I think that in business is a, a lesson I learned relatively recently is fundamental to the, the safety and sanctity of, of a business is, is knowing that the people around you share exactly the same um, ambitions and aims and, uh, and objectives. 
Um, so yeah, there are times when it's it's difficult for her, I think, to think of me as a, as a peer in business, mm. certainly latterly, the last 10 years or so. Um, but um, I think I've had the, the most incredible education uh, in business um, from, you know, and, and she's uh, Italian, so her, her first language is Italian, but she, she writes and speaks perfectly and fluently. Um, and, and much of what I've learned, I've, I've, I've learned from her. So, um, yeah, I, I can't think of a, of a better education. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's what you said about, you know, they're, they're, I know there'll be people listening because I know Nicola's listening and she's uh, she's someone who listens to my podcast regularly. Uh, she works with her sister. Right. And it's just that conversation around um, family, working with family, because that, there's, there's people out there who go, never work with family or friends. What are your views on it? Well, it, it can tend to dominate um, life. So um, when we see my mother socially, my wife and, and, and daughters who are now 18 and 19, uh, will see my mother socially. And it always tends to kind of move towards a business issue, matter, question, the Italian job, clearly. And we have to put some fairly you know, strict parameters in place and say that, that we, don't, we can't talk about it all the time. But no, I, I would 100% recommend it. I, I, I honestly can't think of a... Of a, of a better business partner to have in in, in, in business than her. And I, mm. I'm pretty sure she'd say the same of me. I hope she would anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to get her on and ask her. Absolutely. I'd love to interview her. It'd be amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I, I, I just think there needs to be some thought about you know, what the implications of working with family are. Um, for us, I completely agree. You've, you're all, you have that level of commitment that you if you found that in an employee, you oh. just would like... Bottle it. Yeah, exactly. And, and handcuff them to the desk. Yeah. Um, don't do that, though. Um, no. And, uh, yeah, it's just that, that level of commitment and that dedication. You know, when, you, when, I, go, when I used to go on holiday, I knew that, that the business was as looked after as well as I would myself. Mm. So there are those benefits. Um, but I really understand that... Um, yeah, we used to do that all the time. We'd go around to my, see my parents. We'd just talk about work all yeah. the time. And we had to be really strict about it and say, stop it. Like, you know. It just gets boring for other people at yeah. dinner if there's other people around, you know, that they, they just got to listen to these, uh, these conversations. And then invariably, we, we, being Italian, it becomes very fiery quickly. Mm. Um, and raise voices in Italian doesn't mean we're angry. It just means that we're passionate and fiery. Um, and yeah, we've been in restaurants before where. Um, but then we speak in Italian, so ah, kind okay, of, we kind of say. tend to mask it quite nicely. But it's, lots of um, pale British people looking very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, a little bit because it, it does become quite quite loud. Yeah. And now she's 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 relatively hard of hearing as well, so that doesn't help <laughs> as well. So even louder. Brilliant, brilliant. So let's talk about the Italian job. Let's start with what it is. It it really is a very simple fundraising uh, event. It's an annual drive from the UK to a start line in Italy and back. Um, started in 1990, the idea was to go in classic minis, or minis as they were at the time, there was nothing, nothing, no alternative, um, and cars would be sponsored by local businesses, by friends, family, suppliers, and we did it in 1990, um, first time, uh, on the back of some friends of mine did the Beaujolais ran, run in 89, thought it was great, but it was just a bit heavy, it was a complete and utter uh, knees up. So I'd been at university in the north of Italy, I had some good connections with the local tourist office that I I'd worked with part time while I was there. So we sent some faxes, um, spoke to some people. They said, yeah, we'd love to do this. We'd welcome that. And I think they thought it was going to be half a dozen of us in classic minis turning up and uh, and fundraising. And in the end, we sent a press release to a magazine at the time called Autocar Motor who ran it. And we were inundated, Jeremy, with um, 70, uh, 55 other teams wanted to come along and take wow. part in the, in the first Italian job. So we cobbled it all together really, really hastily. 
went and came back. It was four days, five days from start to finish, which is a, a lo- you know a long time. No sat navs. It was it was really primitive and really a challenge. And that first year we raised seventy thousand pounds, wow. and we split that between children in need and child line, and um, had no intentions of doing it again. It had just been a one off. Uh, but then we kept getting people asking, saying, "Can we come again? Can we come next year?" And we staged it every year up until obviously twenty twenty, um, for the, when, the, when the pandemic uh, struck. Um, but every year since, and we've raised on average around about a hundred thousand pounds a year. So wow. we're just over the three million pound mark now, and looking forward to resurrecting it for twenty twenty three. Wow, what an achievement! Why did you start it? Like, what was the? I know you talk about the Beaujolais run, but like, um, who who started it? Whose idea was it? Well, the, the collection of friends. Okay. And it, it happened in Topolino's in Hove, along Church Road. You may remember it. A little pizza. Not there anymore. Is not it? there yeah, anymore. Yeah, no, it's the Fatto Mano, another really good Italian yeah. uh, pizzeria. Yeah. Um, and some friends and myself, we were sitting there one evening, and they some of them had done the the Beaujolais run um, previously. And I said, and they said we've got to do something. So one of the guys, David, said, let's take, let's go in minis. Angelo, the owner of Topolino, said, let's do, uh, call it the Italian job. And I said, well, let's take it to Trento, which is my old university town, because I've got some connections there. And I'll get my mum involved, because she's involved in travel and groups, incentives. And it's how it all started. So wow. it really was a little acorns to oak trees grow kind of moment. No one expected it to, to gather the momentum that it did. Mm. Um, and even to this day, I think people think that we're kind of like a huge organisation. And yet it's just me and my mum and an army of, of friends and family that support. We've been privileged, taking the cars and the Italian job on to Fiorano, which is Ferrari's private test track, which is where they road test every road and race car from their factory at Maranello. Uh, we've been up onto the rooftop test track. We've been mm. around Imola, Mugello, um, Monza, the old bank circuit at Monza. Uh, we've got, we visited Venice, we visited Rome, Florence, Milan, Turin, Bologna. Uh, so we've done some amazing things. And, and the kind of premise is that we just want to give people a different experience on the Italian job. So food and wine plays a big part because the, the gastronomy of Italy is mm. something I'm passionate about. Mm. Um, and yeah, so how, how, like people listening, if they went, right, that's something I really want to get involved in, how do they get involved? They just go to italianjob.com. No, that, but just italianjob.com. Uh, all the information's there. What have you learned over those 30 years of doing the Italian job around fundraising and, you know, generating money for charities? Lots and lots. That Yes, um, charities at all levels are effectively businesses. Um, you know, some of them, um, they, don't, they, they qualify for, no, you know, the VAT zero, uh, zero rated on so many things, which is a help to them. Um, but actually they are oper- and they operate as a business would they have budgets they need to uh, to hit they have uh, you know employees they have cost base um, and they have targets um, to achieve and it's people like us and many many others and that's it, that's the, the thing there's thousands of people around tens of thousands of people around the UK who selflessly give their time effort and energy to support a charity that is close to their heart um, I, I think um, they it's it's a shame that they depend a number of times i've come across companies saying to me well no we won't support the charity because that should be the responsibility of the government to ensure that there are no families in crisis in this country so um mm. you know we support the nspcc for many years gave them a million pounds um they were really active in uh, support of children that had suffered abuse then they moved more into a campaigning direction which kind of didn't really fit with where we wanted to go so we, we kind of moved away went to action for children that were um helping um children and families with uh, um, on the autism spectrum, um, and it was a huge um, uh, shift in, in in terms of the the work that they were doing. Um, but uh, I, I've learned really that they depend upon our our contributions, um, and rightly or wrongly, they need them. Um, whether it should be the government or not, I, I, I've no doubt it should be. There, there should be provision 
um, for, for for the third sector. So they shouldn't have to depend on this. But uh, I remember not that long ago, I think it was 2018, I was in Berry on business attending an awards evening from one of our magazines for Rowing to Go. And there was a little charity there called Boomerang. And they provide respite care, daycare for children uh, on the autism spectrum so that their families can, for those few hours, live some normal semblance of a, a normal life. Uh, and their ask each year was £10,000. That's what they needed. And I thought, Jesus, that's nothing, mm. is it really? 10K, no. that keeps their doors open. 12K would have meant their doors could have been open even longer or help more kids and families. Um, and it's dreadful that they really are struggling to find that 10, 12K uh, a year. And it's the same on every level. And there's there's some amazing philanthropists out there that sign up to different degrees, decrees that, that they're giving vast swathes of their fortunes away, which is fantastic. Um, we don't. We have to generate that uh, ourselves, and mm. and love doing it. Love the feeling that we get from from making those those contributions, and the, the feedback we get from from Bustle to our fundraising teams is great because they have a direct channel of communication. They say, "Hey, Jeremy, thanks for raising two and a half thousand pounds in the talent job twenty nineteen. Uh, this is how it's being spent in the BN postcode area. Um, nothing specific. They have to anonymize everything, obviously, but you then get a real buzz, thinking, "Wow." This is, you know, what we did and had a great 10, 12 days away in the Italian job has made that difference. Mm. Um, and, and one really important lesson I've learned is that um, it's empty vessels that make the most noise kind of story. You know, that uh, those that make the most noise make the least difference. Those that make the least noise make the most difference. So uh, I will stand here. I would stand on the top of a building, shout and scream about the Italian job all day, every day. But it's not what I lead on. Mm. So you find my email footer. There's a very small reference to the Italian job. And that's not to say that people that are shouting about their endeavours are, are wrong. It's just not me. And I think that, you know, we have the ability to, to make a very small difference and, uh, and a responsibility to do so as well. That's my view. Yeah. Um, and, and I do so with, with great pleasure. And it's, it's resulted in many sacrifices over the years, but then many big advantages. I met my wife on the Italian job. She came on the Italian job in 91. Oh, really? Absolutely. So, okay. there's a know, reason to join. That was, yeah, you never know. No, no, don't, you've got a fiance, don't, because you might end up. No, no, it's not. <laughs> no, like I'm that. very happily no. um, in a relationship. Thank you very much. Uh, no, brilliant. Amazing. And talk to me as if I'm someone who wants to get into, either wants to get into, not necessarily get into fundraising, but, you know, wants to fundraise, do an event, and I'm being held back, being stopped, not sure where to start. Is there any kind of like advice or top tips that you can give someone? who's thought about it but never had the you know the has never taken action i guess yeah i think the fact do it jump don't just don't wait to be pushed and 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 find the cause that really resonates with you and there will be because in all our lives there are backstories or things in the past that have happened um that were it not for the intervention of a charity of some description some size um you know the outcome would have been totally different and i think uh the, the feeling and the warm feeling you get inside from, from you know, it's that, that old thing about, you know, it's better to give than to receive. It's giving a gift. It really is true. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm absolutely um, uh, amazed at the, the selflessness of so many people in business in Brighton and Hove who do so much. Mm. I mean, I, I've got some friends that run a, a lettings company in, in, um, in Hove, uh, Lawton and Door. Every year they get all their employees, eight, nine, ten of them, to walk into the sea in December Wow. All sponsored, yeah. and they raise a few thousand pounds each year for the chosen charities. And the charities tend to be um, off the fence, I think, in in um, in, in Hove um, for Ronald McDonald House because um, the um, one of the the, the the people in the in that business has has received great support from Ronald McDonald House, 
um, at the birth of one of their daughters. Mm. Uh, so I think whenever you can link link up and latch on to um, to to a cause. I mean, I uh, my daughter is nineteen and on a gap year, and I've not made her. I've suggested to her that that volunteering at Whoops a Daisy in Brighton in Preston Park. And if you don't know Whoops a Daisy in Preston Park, it's just the most amazing charity I've ever met. Yeah, uh, they help children with cerebral palsy, and they take them on a journey. Uh, through this fantastic Hungarian um, conductive um, therapy um, method, uh, and it's just eye-opening and it's it's heartrending to see yeah. it and watch it. And my daughter now is volunteering there and 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 will absolutely reap the benefits. Yeah. I think it's good for the soul. Generally. I completely agree. I think I think particularly in our world, and when I talk about that, I'm you know, saying you know the Western world where we have all of our needs taken care of and the majority of us live in extreme comfort with very little to worry about. I notice myself, I can get into a little bit of a, um, I call it entitled state of like, oh, life's not fair. Yeah. And actually it's like be of service to others. Like, you know, it's, mm. it just changes everything in a moment. You know, you don't have, some people, you know, don't have to give everything. You can give an hour a week or whatever is available to you. I mean, one thing which I actually with Whoops a Daisy, I spent some time with them um, and did some coaching, mentoring, whatever you want to call, no charge, and offered my help up to them. Made a huge difference. Absolutely. You know, uh, you, something like that. If you're an entrepreneur, business owner, go and find a charity. Absolutely. It, uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, and I you know, hat, hats off to you because I think that it's not just about hand in pocket, there's a tenner, there's 50, there's 100 pounds. It's about using your energy and your best endeavors and your experience and your expertise. To, to give them a gift and yeah. say, right, if you put into practice what I'm telling you and you say, trust me because I know what I'm doing, um, this is going to be the net result. Yeah. And if they do that, amazing. Yeah. So, again, my daughter going there, I've just said, you are going to get, your, your soul is going to explode with, mm. with, 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 with fire because it's just a great thing to do. Yeah. And it's um, On that note, I'm going to say a challenge to everyone listening. Go and find a, take your skill and go and find a charity and offer them some time for Absolutely. free. You know, yeah. if you're a social media expert, go and find a charity and see if they need some help. Absolutely. An hour you know. a week of tweeting or of, uh, yeah. of posting. Absolutely. Just, you know, even for a short period, that would make such a difference. Well, yeah. so many graphic design, web, you know, every law, yeah. legals, accounting, yeah. you know, yeah. I know they have trustees, and but it, it really is. So let's talk about your, your business as well. So Raring to Go. Give us a, a, a breakdown of what that does. Um, yeah, what you do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Raring to Go is a, uh, a brand name. It's the uh, the franchise um, arm of Mojo Publishing. And um, we have uh, a network of um, 34, 35 franchisees around the UK who produce a quarterly magazine, manage a, a local website aimed at families with children at primary school. It's the kind of go-to guide of what to do, where to go outside of school. Um, they monetize through selling advertising in their magazines, we provide centrally a lot of content, imagery, uh, feature articles that we source and we prepare. Um, it's a very classic franchise model. Um, there's uh, absolute similarity and continuity uh, across the board, just the same as if you go to a McDonald's in Brighton or one in Bath, that Big Mac is going to taste exactly the same. Our magazine in Brighton and our magazine in Bath will look and feel the same externally, but the content obviously will be very heavily targeted towards the local community. Okay. And that's something that you started. Has that come out of your your mum? You, no, that no. was uh, totally separate. That came out of um, the BNI networking. Okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, got a bit, a bit of a hat, hats off to to BNI. Met someone in the BNI, did a local magazine, um, local Hayward Teeth handbook, printed it in Birmingham. I was working alongside. Uh, we had our design and our print side, um, with, alongside a print partner, and took that that 
that local Hayworthy's handbook to him and said, should we do it? He said, yep, let's do it. Met them at B&I. That then escalated. We ended up doing 70 of those magazines on a monthly basis, each one with a turnover of £1,000. It was nuts. And then we stumbled across their licensor um, who hadn't franchised the, the MyMag side, but they were franchising the Rowan to go side. We were then chosen as the printer of choice, uh, and that was a million pounds a year of, uh, of print. And then from there, we decided to buy the business because we wanted to kind of gear up for it and get ready for it, and we took it on. Uh, and that was in 2006. So we took it on as an already formed. It had been around for two years, um, and we took it on and, and took it hopefully forwards into a new era and uh, uh, exciting times. So yeah. Wow. All of that. Can you sum up what franchising is to someone that has literally no idea? Yeah, it's um, it's kind of like starting your own business, but having all the the grunt and the uh, heavy lifting done in advance. So all the legals, all the financials, all the uh, IP, intellectual property, all the all the um, uh, identity of the of the business is already done. So it's kind of like um, le- uh, leasing or renting a flat from from a, from a landlord. Um, that you move into and pretty much you've got a lot of flexibility with where you want to put the furniture in your flat you can do what you want in the business there are certain things you can't do or if you want to do you need to ask your landlord or your franchisor so if you're going to start knocking walls around in a flat you'd have to ask your landlord um, if you want to deviate substantially from the the, the the actual model of the business you need to speak to your franchisor yeah. so um, a McDonald's franchisee might say I've got a friend that grows potatoes and we could make amazing chips or french fries can I use, no chance you have yeah. to use them you can't change the colour of the arches over the McDonald's restaurant so many restrictive things mm. um, and, and there's a reason for it but it's because the model works yeah. and it's the same with us so um, we set them a, a, a minimum performance a target so they have to produce a minimum of 32 pages have to produce a minimum of 10,000 copies they have to commit to updating their website and doing things so that it really does become a useful resource for the local community but um there's, there are some various stats. The Nat, NatWest do a, an annual survey on the state of franchising, and they say that the chances of a franchise being in existence and profitable in 12 months from start are far greater than those of a from scratch startup. Wow. Because of the a lot, again, the, the heavy lifting is done in advance. Yeah. So, yeah. and oh. all the effort in setting up a business is front end, as you know, Jeremy. All the cost is front end. So, just getting through year one and kind of getting anywhere near break even would be amazing. And with our model, the way we've, we've structured it and where franchising really works is that they've, they follow the system, follow the formula. By all means, put your, give your input, but follow what has been established as the, the way forward. And mm. it will, if you make that effort, work. Yeah. Well, I was talking to someone last week in a networking meeting and they were, they'd come to me. I've been introduced them because they just started a food business. And as yeah. you know, I had a food manufacturing business and... Um, uh, they said to me, "Oh, you know, all this." They were they were stressed out, and they were not say so, so stressed out, but they were concerned. They were talking about, and I was asking, like, "Where do you want to go with this business? Do you want to grow it?" And they were saying, "Yeah, I do, but it's really challenging right now." It's like, well, absolutely, because you've got to be, you've got to know so many areas of business to understand how they will function, and you've got to often do them all yourself. So that's that stat kind of makes sense in this, you know, in terms of everything's kind of taken care of for you you've just got to run the business i guess mm. on a day-to-day and that you know the importance of that consistency if you went into mcdonald's every time i mean that was the biggest thing that we had to make sure when we were supplying like virgin and ba and number one lounges and you know supermarkets it was like they every single thing needs to look and taste exactly the same mm. because if it doesn't 
then you know people aren't going to come back because they're getting a different thing every time and that, i see that happening in food businesses so what are the benefits to people who are listening and thinking i'd like to start a franchise or i'd like to start a business because i wouldn't have ever thought in my early days of thinking about going and doing a franchise no but you had a perfect business for a franchise model i mean yeah. i say that from a franchise or perspective i could say i'd love race i've said this to you before my, my daughters when i was loved it, the one on church road could have seen that in in towns and cities across the uk and the big edge to you is that you haven't got to go and invest in that infrastructure and 20 30 retail commercial premises and 20 30 teams of people and then the difficulty of managing people from Brighton, where your, your base camp is, to Bristol or Birmingham, for example, yeah. I just use the bees. But, uh, and that's the, the, the big advantage from a business's perspective, the ability to scale up quickly. The advantage for the individual is that if they do their due diligence, and that's the thing, you know, and, and good franchisors will always say, ask me 100 questions, ask me even more questions. Um, do the do due diligence, look at their forecast, speak to their franchisees, ask them those nitty-gritty questions. What are they like? Are they, uh, is your franchisor as good as he says he is? If, he's, if they go, mm, then walk a mile. Um, and you just know that walking into a good franchise system, you end up with a, a far better chance of success and achieving those goals and aims that you have mm. for, for whatever they are. Mm. I mean, we don't all want to you know, set the world on fire. Some of us just want to have enough money to pay for private school or for three, four, five holidays a year or for a classic car, whatever it may be. So, mm. you know, we've had this, this conversation before, Jeremy, about kind of those that have just hustle, hustle, hustle the whole time. It doesn't have to be that. No. typically being in business means it's like a baby that you, you can it never grows up you've just constantly got to nurture and look after it yeah so i've never been on holiday and not thought not all the time but been involved in the business yeah um so and that's the franchise um model yeah no it's an interesting one because i did actually remember when i had the shop i thought, did think oh you know one day I th you know it popped the idea yeah. popped in my head never took it any further you know um but it's 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 something that I don't see enough people in the business community talking about. It seems to be like quite a niche, seems to be a niche thing, oh, but actually it's not really. No, it's it? 15, 17 billion of the GDP. So, I mean, it's a big, big chunk. I mean, it's a, it's a huge employer. Uh, it's a huge movement for, for women in business. There are, I think there are, I think statistically, I can't remember the numbers precisely, but far more women involved in franchising than in in, um, in in startups right. around yeah. the UK in different uh, and there mm. are you'd be surprised the architecture of the local high street is completely composed of of the franchise yeah. model yeah I, even like um like baby like toddler groups and stuff so I'm sure I've seen that those that yeah, that's a franchise absolutely model, yeah it, baby well. gym classes boots the chemists uh, next it's boots Ga absolutely oh really Some I didn't know quite a few okay. estate agents. Uh, you know they're they're, yeah. they're prolific um, shoe shops, Clark Shoes, Specsavers, yeah. Eyesight. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean it's a it's a huge community and it's a huge um, hugely important yeah. and it, it kind of gets that bad press and oh well we associate it with like the I don't know whatever film franchise they use that word really flippantly mm. but um, yeah it's for me I think it, it genuinely is a, a fantastic opportunity for individuals and for businesses if they do it the right way the right way and i like what you said you know it's that due diligence it's mm. questioning the i have i've worked through my mentoring with people that have done franchises and had a negative experience um and i've worked i've, I've met people or known people that again have had a very negative experience and that due diligence is so important um when if you wanted to do, you know to do a franchise what sort of things would you look you talked about speaking to other franchisees just kind of pull them apart and well don't don't be told who you can speak with because they're just going to put you into their team and really friendly and perhaps most successful franchisees 
um, I give them a list of all our areas and say, choose any one. And if you happen to get Jeremy on a bad day, who's had a, we've had a row about something, about license fees or we you haven't had whatever, um, so be it. I, I want people to know that there's there's a sharp end about, you know, and, and ask what the day-to-day is like. Uh, does it fulfil their ambition and, and their aims? Um, are they earning what they thought they would be earning? Are they working harder than they should? They, they thought they would be? Don't forget, it's business ownership. It's not a salary. It's not a job. So uh, at certain points, you know, and that part of the due diligence is down to me as the franchisor and say it's not just, you know, your foot, the, you know, the, 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 the shoe fitting the, the foot. It's the other way around as well. I mean, I have to, I have to make sure if we're going to jump into a five-year professional business relationship together, because that's the term of our agreement, um, I have to make sure that we're going to be able to uh, to get on. And sometimes you get it absolutely horrendously wrong, just as we do in friendships and in life, I guess. Um, but yeah, lots and lots of questions. Look at the financials. Uh, look at the state of the business. Who owns the IP? I mean, there's uh, you know, so many different questions to ask. And there are so many good franchise lawyers. Good starting point is the British Franchise Association, bfa.org.uk. Uh, they've got a list of loads of legal advisors, consultants that can guide you. There's an incredible uh, franchise uh, expert in, in Brighton and Hove called Pam Gordon. Um, if anyone is looking and uh, talks to me about franchise, I point them to her because she is just the most authoritative on the subject that I know. She's yeah. my go-to reference point um, and brilliant with it. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. There's there's lots of resource out there, but you must, must, must. You wouldn't buy a new car without test driving it. So Something. it's kind of, you know, <laughs> well. <laughs> I, I just thought, not a heck of a thought. I know people who don't. But, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, if, you, if yeah. you're going to do it properly, you want to make absolutely. sure that, it, that it's, um, and yeah, I can't stress enough that due diligence, particularly around contracts, well, absolutely. There's, yeah. there's the, the, the franchise agreement. Ours is, is about an inch thick. Um, it's now obviously digital, um, but there are so many different clauses in there, and, and there, there is a, a slight imbalance in that the, the the obligations from the franchise or to the franchisee are far greater than the franchise or obligations to the franchisee. But there is a, a, a tacit understanding that their success is is going to contribute to my success, and my success is going to contribute to their success. So, yeah. it's it's a partnership. It's yeah. um, Holding holding hands and, and moving forward. Yeah, together. yeah. I you know I talk nonstop about contracts and finances and stuff like that. No one ever listens, you know, and they get themselves into all kinds of trouble. No. But you know that's what we are as humans. You know that's what that's how I was when I started out. Um, but I've come across many people who have really got themselves into a very sticky situation because they haven't done that due diligence, they haven't checked the contract, mm. they haven't spent that time. Because it's so, you know, you see an opportunity and you, think, you just get excited. Some people are just like, let's go. Yeah, you do. You know? and, and that is the, uh, it's when you start, you know, making decisions with your heart rather than your head. And uh, that's why it's always good to have a bit of an anchor that kind of holds mm. you back and says, right, you know, it's, it, it's just logical. This is going to be a, a fairly significant expense. Yeah. Not not as much as a house, or in many cases more than a house, uh, but it's it's a considerable expense and yeah. it's a lifestyle impact as well. So you know all our franchisees work from home. So you know, do you have space? Do you have a small office, home office that you can dedicate to this? Because kitchen table ain't really going to cut it. To be mm-hmm. fair, um, when you're on the phone to advertisers spending thousands of pounds with you, and you know the kettles, you know the cookers, the, and the kids are flying, the dogs all over. You know, so it's it's kind of levels of professionalism, but. It is a flexible franchise, mm. um, but yeah, I'm I'm a massive fan of franchising. The Americans do it so well. Oh yeah, so yeah, much yeah, better yeah. than we do. They are. Yeah, my uncle lives in Manhattan, in New York, and he um he used to go to a bar and he met the guy, this guy who franchises like a billion dollar, like all these massive yeah. places. Like it's just like it's just fascinating yeah. the you know how they do it over there. It's I, I met a woman at the Paris franchise show a few years ago, and she owned 120 subway stores across the states. Wow, 120! 
Wow. Each of them are flying. I mean, it's just... But you've got to have quite a lot of investment, haven't you? I think, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think Absolutely. they're like... I think Dunkin' Donuts, when they came to the UK, because my dad sent it to me, and was like, they wanted a million... I think it was a million yeah. pound investment. Back then, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Now, yeah, I mean, but, the, you know, the, the financial world is, is, is kept up to, spe- up to speed with, with, with the UK, so you go to specialist divisions of HSBC, NatWest, Lloyds, they have their own franchise teams. And if you demonstrate your model works and you, and you demonstrate that there's, there's sub- substance to it, they will, in theory, subject to your own particular circumstances, lend you 70 to 30. So they'll lend you 70% of the franchise fee against your investment of 30. And that's really important. That 30% from our perspective is really important. That's the, that's the skin in the game. Because mm. if you've got no hook, you know, we, you need to be invested. Not yeah. just financially, but there has to be that, finan- that, that investment of, of, course. of the individual. Well, the final question is, how much support does can a franchisee expect from a franchisor or does it vary or like just if someone was going into it what would they need to think about or yeah, from that perspective it's it's ongoing uh, our, our franchise fee the purchase covers all the initial training and all our back-end systems our our magazine management system our crm how to everything within the bit how to update the website etc um but that is we have a head office team in, in sutton coalfield um, and they are on hand and not say 24 7 but uh, five days a week from from nine to five thirty uh, very often out of office hours, communication has changed so much now. So it's not just email or telephone. We have a WhatsApp group, we have a Facebook group. So there's various different channels and ways of communicating. Um, but the support really is our aim and ambition is to make our franchisees as successful as they possibly can mm. be. Um, but in order to do that, they have to meet us halfway. So I always say, if you if you meet me halfway and give me you know 100%, I'll give you 150, 200% back uh, because I think that's what's necessary. And in that first year of trading, we take away all their pain and uh, extend a lot of financial support to them. We obviously mm-hmm. had to su- extend as much support as we could during the lockdowns, during the pandemic. Um, but I'm, I'm pleased to say we're still here, um, skin of the teeth um, kind of um, position, but um, you know, still fighting, still, still working on. And, and they're, they're a formidable bunch. All, all my franchisees are, are formidable. All women in business, uh, fierce and uh, properly focused on, on what they're doing. Like your mum. Just like my mum. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you. I think that's a perfect point to end the conversation. Um, I want to thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been a really, I've learned a lot in this conversation. Um, so thank you very much. How, if you want to be found online, how can people reach out to you and get in touch? What's um, the best way? I've, I've got a fairly unique name, Freddie St. George or Frederick St. George. So LinkedIn um, through um, raringtogo.co.uk through italianjob.com um, or as I say LinkedIn or uh, on Instagram I'm mini Italian job um, on Twitter if I still have an account uh, no blue ticks paid for <laughs> it's IJ Freddy and on Facebook it's the Italian job event brilliant and uh, yeah we'd love to hear from anyone that's got a mini wants to come along or anyone interested to find out more about franchising we'd love to uh, to talk fantastic thank you very much Freddy brilliant. thank you Jeremy Thank you so much for listening in today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. This has been How Not to Run a Business with your host, me, Jeremy Jacobs. If you like this conversation and you want to hear more, then make sure you follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And whilst you're there, if you want to leave me a review, I would really appreciate it. If you'd like to connect with me online, you can do so on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And my profile name is Jeremy Jacobs UK. Or 
you can check out my website which is jeremyjacobs.co.uk so once again thank you so much for listening and until next time keep on trying keep on failing keep on succeeding